I'm Glenn Richards. You're listening to Morning Edition on WUFT. Comedian Paula Poundstone is returning to North Central Florida on Friday, December 1st, 7.30 p.m. at the Curtis M. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts in Gainesville. And, of course, Paula is well known to WUFT listeners as a panelist on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and also the host of her own weekly comedy podcast, Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, co-hosted with fellow Wait, Wait panelist Adam Felber. It's the podcast voted Best Waste of Time three years running. New episodes every Tuesday. Hey, hey, Paula, how you doing? I'm happy to be with you, and I'm looking forward to going to Gainesville. Yeah, it's been, uh, well, like, like, yeah, two years. Well, two years since you've been to Florida, but uh, longer since you've been in, in Gainesville. So what have you been up to? Well, you know, I have such a dull life. It's really same old, same old. I travel for work. I come home. I take care of pets. I do my podcast and, you know, rinse and repeat. But it has been, you know, especially, of course, since the um, stay-at-home order and all, um, I have a terrible confession to make. Prior to COVID, prior to the stay-at-home order, it's possible, I'm not certain, but it is possible that I may have whined a little bit about travel about working a lot and, and traveling. You do like 80 shows a, a year or something, right? Still? Something like that. But yeah. I'll tell you, along came COVID and along came that stay-at-home order and I was away from, you know, I mean, I never didn't want to be with the audience. It was the travel that it took to get there that was challenging. But uh, but I, I'll tell you, now you could shove me in the overhead compartment. I don't care. <laughs> I'm just so happy to be back with the audience, um, it really, especially in light of the, you know, the the world around us and the challenges that we're facing, you know, having a having a two hour oasis uh, uh, in front of an audience is just a balm, a salve. It is. It's salve and a balm. Has it changed much? Have the audiences changed, or is it the same folks? I mean, that that you left uh, before, in the before times. I, I think it. I think it's kind of the. I think it's kind of the same. Um, you know, not not as many people come out in some places because I think a lot of us. And the truth is, I'm sort of like this too, which is I think a lot of us got out of the habit uh, or the practice of scheduling something to do that uh, was out of our homes. <laughs> and, you know, I, I used to really make a practice of having stuff on my calendar that wasn't work that I could look forward to doing. It, you know, it, and, and it was this experience, and generally what I'm referring to is like a Sometimes getting together with friends, but being a part of an audience, which I think is um, a part of us that we kind of take for like an experience that we have of human beings that we kind of take for granted a little bit. And I'm only basing this on the uh, totally unscientific uh, uh, research that I've done um, of, you know, the before and after this experience of not being able to be a part of a crowd mm -hmm. um, for a while. I, I I think it's a big mental health uh, and happiness loss. Um, but I too 
I still don't do as much of that sort of thing as I used to do. Right. And I think a lot of people are like that. And and it may well um, be at least a spoke in the wheel of uh, the epidemic of loneliness that we're uh, suffering from. Now, as I say that, there's a you don't have to come out and see me, although wouldn't I love that? And wouldn't that be great? Yeah, Friday, 7.30. That would be fantastic. Phillips uh, Center. Uh, at the Phillips Center. But I do think people uh, need to be reminded to go out and be a part of an audience, even if it's not me, uh, to see a play, to see a band, to see, you know what I mean? A that, movie. That yeah. Sharing some sort of emotional reaction to something as a group. I think it makes us feel more human. You feel like, oh, I'm not the only one, uh, you know, or, oh, I have that. If there's a, you know, a character that does a funny thing, you, you know, whatever it is. Um, in this particular case, yes, I am promoting my job at the Phillips Center in Gainesville. But again, it doesn't have to be me that people see. But I do think it's important for mental health to be a part of an audience. Yeah. Is there... um do, do you ever go out and see like a uh, fellow comedians? Is there, do you, do you go out and see shows? I do go see shows, but not of comics. Um, uh, because, because it's a different experience for me. It's just fraught. If somebody says something that I think is really funny, I think to myself, well, why didn't I think of that? Right. And, uh, you know, so it's a bit of a busman's holiday. Uh, I listen to comedy. In fact, um, there's a guy, his name is Rocky Mountain Mike. Uh, he's, uh, he does these political song parodies. And I, uh, he does them on a, on the, on a radio show that I like. And, uh, and we know each other from just from that, but he came to see me live at a show that I was at last weekend. And he gave me one of his CDs and, uh, I, I I'm just delighted by it. Um, so I listen to stuff, you know, but I, but do I go out to a comedy show? No, I I I, I don't. I I uh, I'm trying to think what was the last show I went to, but not not a comedy show. But right. I mean, uh, you know, a movie or a theater or a, uh, I too have gotten out of the habit. Um, mostly, I just tell my jokes because I have two big dogs and ten cats. <laughs> I was going to ask about the cats next. Yeah, and I, you know, they're very expensive. They, uh, you know, they're forever. My dog, my dog Mo, tore her. I guess in a dog, it's a CCL. In a person, it's an ACL. Um, and it's not like she's a professional soccer player. Um, uh, but it was a tremendously expensive surgery. And, and then I was told she had to rest for two months, which I don't even know what that looks like. Yeah, with a dog, how do you make a dog rest? Honestly, she's part Golden Retriever and part Newfoundland. And she's four years old, so, you know, rather lively. Um, I'll tell you, I mean, it was such an expensive surgery. And there's, of course, the threat that it won't heal properly. Or that because she has to favor one leg, that she'll do the same damage to the other leg. So the first couple nights I read aloud to her from Old Yeller. Hmm. So that she understood the possibilities of uh, <laughs> what might happen if the healing didn't go properly. Uh, uh, but my point being, I'm out there making a living. 
yeah. and uh, and taking care of uh, animals when I'm home. Uh, well, you got to keep touring uh, because you got to pay for the animals. That is exactly correct. <laughs> Well, I I know you you did some uh, like exercise videos uh, a while back with, with the animals. Are you still posting those? Uh, I haven't posted one in a little while, but I still do. I do what I call my improvements uh, most nights. Uh, and you know, having pets in the house, they like to um, they like to increase the the weight on various. Like I plank, that's mm. one of my stronger moves. And uh, I can't plank without a couple of cats on my back, some some putting their faces in my face while I'm trying to. Yeah, they're very helpful. I should open a gym. That's what I should do. I should open a gym with pets. A pet gym. Yeah, because they are very helpful. Work out with Paula and her pets. Yeah, I like that idea. I do. Uh, that was one thing I started doing during the stay-at-home order you know prior to the stay-at-home order i took taekwondo for years um and sometimes had multiple classes a week and there were private lessons and they were grueling um and and then of course along came COVID, i couldn't do that anymore uh but i started doing these kind of ridiculous workouts um on my own just here in my dwelling in my living room and I got to say, I actually have gotten stronger from doing that than I think I ever did working out with the, how is that possible? doesn't make any sense, but you know, I'll do jumping jacks and pushups and I always post it online. Uh, and I think my audience is largely sort of, um, let's just say not really athletic people. I would count myself in that group. Yeah. Well, they'll say stuff like, They'll say, they'll be really encouraging. And that's part of the reason I post it. And also because then if I don't do it, you know, they notice. Uh, so, uh, you know, desperate times, desperate measures. Well, it's really fun uh, to see, you know, your your animals and your your living quarters. So, uh, yeah, so maybe post one. Do you, do you ever film like or run video on your, your podcast or it's just strictly uh, audio? Um. It is strictly audio. We just started the Patreon thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've, uh, uh, and so for that, we're going to use a little bit of video. You know, the truth is, as a crew, we're nothing to look at. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't. That's you why know, I'm in radio. I well, I don't dress up to do the podcast. No. So you're really getting the real. Um, uh, but we did literally just start the, the, the Patreon thing. And uh, I always tell the listeners as i promote it um uh this is the patreon for nobody listens to paula poundstone i tell people you know beethoven uh had a patron but he but beethoven lived in their house so i think we're asking very little of our patreon supporters uh, uh you know i'm not living in anybody's house so. yeah so it, it could be worse exactly i we could we, we could be taking really a big slice of people's lives but uh, i don't know it's a few bucks a month or whatever it is uh I, I, i'll tell you that the the my accountants used to say to me um again prior to covid you know why do i do that uh podcast because <laughs> podcasting is not really a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow um 
And they'd be like, well, you know, they felt like it maybe wasn't the best use of my time uh, financially. And then again, along comes COVID. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, thank goodness for that goofy, silly podcast. Not just because it it, it, it literally was like a couple of bucks a month, maybe, um, but because the, the making of it and the interaction with the, you know, audience uh, via social networking and online and stuff um, just buoyed up um, not just me, but the, the other members of, of my uh, podcast. And what I hear from audience members all the time is, oh, my gosh, thank you for doing that. That got me through or that's getting me through because we can't seem to pull ourselves out of these uh, dangerous waters. For those who are unfamiliar with uh, the podcast, Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, you, you've got uh, Adam Felber as a, as a co-host and you bring on guests, right? And you do characters, too. I do goofy characters, which, again, is something that I I never would have had the nerve. I remember one time in San Francisco, a thousand years ago in the 80s, um, I used to work at a club there that I loved. It was probably the club at which I was the most comfortable. And I tried one night to do like a character thing. Uh, just And I so chickened out. I was so horrified <laughs> by, by the experience that I never did it again. Um, and, uh, you know, and then I started doing this goofy podcast and it really lends itself because you're hidden basically mm-hmm. because it's just audio. So it really lends itself to doing stuff like that. And I have just enjoyed the heck out of it. And audience members seem to, to, to like it too, but it's nothing that I would have the nerve to do like in a live show in front of an audience. I, I just wouldn't. I'm too shy. It's a different side of Paula Poundstone, which is kind of fun. And that's, yeah, you've got the anonymity of just being uh, on a microphone without, you know, seeing an audience or the audience seeing you. And you can, you know, just be creative in a different different way. I suppose it's, it's like an angry, cowardice person that shouts mean things out their car window. I think <laughs> it's a little bit like that. Except for, except for I'm not shouting any mean things. But I mean, I think it does have that sort of like repressed, uh, you know, like I could never do. I could do it, you know, like with my kids. I used to love to. Uh, I, I I used to do for my kids a character that was a queen and and she was very resentful of the <laughs> children because she would always say to them, you know, I'm, I'm a queen. I'm not supposed to be doing this sort of work. Uh, when I was taking care of the kids, it was delightful. But again, too shy to do that for the audience. Well, you can check that out and all things Paula at paulapoundstone.com, the uh, weekly comedy podcast. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. Um, you haven't done a book in a while. It was, I guess your last one was about five years ago. Any any plans for that or any releasing anything else from your vault? I think the last time we spoke, you had... Um, an, an old HBO special was being released. Uh, I, I don't think I have anything else up my sleeve in terms of, uh, um, uh, in, in, in terms of, you know, releasing old things. Uh, and I don't right now have any plans for a book, but you never know. Those kinds of ideas just hit you in the side of the head mm-hmm. one day and you do it. Um, my last book, which uh, is called uh, The Totally Unscientific Study of the Search for Human Happiness, um, which funny, it had this uh, little, uh, you know, renaissance during uh, this stay-at-home order. 
um, because in a lot of ways it was really, because it was a book about happiness and we were all struggling so much with, you know, loneliness and unhappiness at that point. Right. Um, but that book is a series of uh, experiments doing things that I or other people thought would make me happy. And, uh, and they're sincere, they're sincere experiments, albeit not scientific, but certainly sincere. And, uh, and, and I, I tell the baseline of how my life is going in each chapter uh, so that you, so that I have a way of measuring, uh, you know, whether or not this um, variable increased my happiness. And so, in a way, it's this kind of sideways memoir. Um, and by the way, it's really the second memoir that I've written. And uh, my feeling is, uh, you get to keep writing memoirs until you kick. That I feel very strongly about that. Yeah, that's a rule. That's like how when I'm on an airplane and I try to get the window seat, um, but if there's somebody in the middle seat beside me, and the second they sit down, I say to them, listen, I believe firmly that there is a rule that the middle seat person gets the armrest. So uh, that that's the same kind of hard, fast rule that you get to keep writing memoirs until you die. Uh, uh, yeah, because you control the variable. Um, there was something else I was just going to tell you, and it fell out of my head. Uh, I hate when that happens. Oh, I do too. It happens to I me do. all the time. I absolutely hate when that happens. Oh, you know, Houdini used to do this thing. Houdini was a brilliant self-promoter. Probably more even, I would think, a better self-promoter than he even was a, a, a magician. But he used to do this thing where he, when he was coming into a town to work in a theater, he would, you know, he would do a interview with the newspaper or whatever to announce that he was coming, and it was very exciting, of course. Um, and he would often make a bet with, like, the newspaper editor uh, that he would say. Uh, he would challenge the newspaper editor or the head of the newspaper to handcuff him. And he would say, you know, come down, you, you, you can handcuff me. And, and he would make a bet with him about whether or not Houdini would be able to get out of the handcuffs that the newspaper guy did. I, I would like to start a similar practice uh, where I bet, I bet the audience that, uh, that they, that they will laugh for two hours when they come to my show. I, I, I'm I, and I'm saying this because audience members tell me that they do. They say they say their jaw hurts. <laughs> they say they haven't laughed that hard and they don't know when. And again, I really feel that. Uh, and people say like, "Oh my gosh, I didn't even think I could laugh any anymore." Uh, so I I would like. I, I maybe I should make the challenge to you, Glenn. Okay. Uh, last time I saw you was uh, the, the improv in Coconut Grove years wow. ago. That was yeah, going way back. Oh my gosh, that had to have been. Uh, I, I I had to have been a toddler back then. That was quite a while back. <laughs> Me too. I was also. I was very quite young. 
they had to waive the uh, the you know the minimum age requirement to let me in. Right. You, 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 they had to put an apple box under your feet to stand taller than the line. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think that'd be great. Uh, it would be uh, a wonderful thing to see. Maybe we should have paramedics standing by for people who come out with uh, painful cheeks. That's a good idea. All right. Some people, uh, I, another bet I've thought of making was, uh, because I like people to, to laugh so hard that they at least risk incontinence. But maybe that's not as appealing. <laughs> no. I'm sure that the University of Florida Performing Arts might might have something to say about that. They might fraud on that. Okay, yeah. all right. We'll, we'll just two. I, I guarantee two hours of laughter. Okay. Well, it's going to be Friday, uh, December 1st, 7.30 p.m., the Curtis M. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts in Gainesville. And you can find out more about that at uh, uh, performingarts.ufl.edu. And uh, once again, for all things Paula, including her books, her CDs, uh, her comedy podcast, Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, it's paulapoundstone.com. We'll be uh, looking for you at the Phillips Center and and hearing you on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Um, Anything else? Not that I can think of. All right. Well, uh, it's it's great to talk to you again, and we look forward to seeing you. You can uh, check out our complete conversation at WUFT.org. I'm Glenn Richards. Thanks, Paula. Thank you, Glenn. Take care.